then Jesus does something very remarkable. In order to demonstrate that he does in fact have authority on earth to forgive sins, he tells the man to get up, take his mat, and go home. But what's the point? What's the lesson? What are we to learn and what are we to take away with us? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Today we continue a series, Kingdoms Colliding, and uh, we take a look at a, a miracle where Jesus did a healing. But as you uh, came out with so many questions as we begin today's program, Jonathan, you know I, I've, I've got to go back and pick up on that. This healing that we see from uh, Matthew chapter 9, what is the lesson or the point that we're supposed to get from this? Well, this is one of the most famous miracles that Jesus performs anywhere in the Gospels. It's a pretty well-known story, but it's an important story because within this miracle, Jesus tells us what is really the purpose of this miracle, and I think all the miracles in a sense. He, he begins, very interestingly, not with the person's physical ailment, but with a declaration that this man's sins are forgiven. And that could almost look insensitive if we didn't take on board the teaching point. Jesus is saying the problem of sin is the fundamental ailment of the human heart, and he has come to address that need. So the problem of sin, obviously, you're saying the greater need for this man. The physical healing, just uh, a, a thing that, yeah, would be nice, but that forgiveness of sin, the much more significant thing. Well, I don't think Jesus is in any way writing off or diminishing the physical ailment, but I think what he's saying is the fundamental problem with this man and with humanity is the problem of sin. And in a sense, all the other problems in the world are outworkings of this fundamental problem. And so Jesus goes right in for that, that basic issue, and he offers the man the greatest thing he can offer him, the forgiveness of sin, and then he heals the man's physical ailment and does so out of grace and mercy, but also as a living proof that he has all authority even to deal with this greater need, the forgiveness of sin. Well, let's take a look at this story from the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 9 as we begin the greatest miracle of all. Here is Jonathan. We're in the midst of a series in Matthew's Gospel. I'd be grateful if you could take up a Bible and turn to Matthew. We're in chapter 9 this morning. We've entitled the sermon series, Kingdoms Colliding, as the Lord Jesus Christ, at God's appointed King, comes into the world and announces that the kingdom of God is soon to dawn. And as Jesus announces the kingdom of God, we see the kingdoms of the world rise up and, and oppose Him. Well, as we meet with the Lord this morning through His Word and by His Spirit, I hope that as we gather, you've come with a sense of expectancy, with a sense of hope. I hope that as we gather this morning, we have come to meet with the Lord with the same spirit in our heart that these men came to Jesus with on the shores of Lake Galilee all those years ago, with this sense of expectancy, with this spirit of faith. No doubt the men of verse 2 had heard of Jesus' miraculous power to heal. No doubt that they'd heard of what Jesus had done elsewhere and how he'd helped others in other places. And so with that report in their ears and with that hope in their hearts, they brought to him their paralyzed friend. They brought him their friend in the hope that Jesus might do for him what he had done for others. Now, it doesn't take very much imagination for us to picture what life might have been like for a person suffering from paralysis in that day and in that age. No 
formalized health care, no OHIP, no social safety net, no nursing staff to provide the basic daily help that this man would have needed. No, this man would have been totally dependent on family and kind friends to meet all his material needs and all his physical needs. No doctor could help with his paralysis. It was a hopeless situation. But these friends and, and this man, they hear that Jesus perhaps could help, that Jesus could do what no doctor could do, that Jesus had power to heal, and so they rush to him. As these men approached Jesus, we're told, saw their faith and was clearly inclined to help them, was clearly moved to help them. His immediate response is to say to this man words of kindness, words of grace, but almost certainly not the words that he had come to hear. Verse 2, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. These are very significant words, very gracious words, of course, but I doubt that these were the words that the man came hoping to hear from the lips of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever tried this on an overbooked flight. You're in the departure lounge, and there's nowhere to sit. It's chaos in there. There are clearly more people in the room than there are seats on the plane. You go up to the check-in desk and smile very nicely at the attendant and say, look, I see that this flight is a little full. I see you've got a situation and a challenge on your hands. I want you to know right from the start that if you need someone to step in and help and move up to business class, I can make myself available. Have you ever tried that? I actually have once. It didn't work. <laughs> and she looks at you with a kind of weary smile and with a bit of pity in her eyes. And she says, sir, I'm afraid all our seats in business class, they're gone. But I could offer you advanced boarding if you like. I can see that from your ticket that your seat is all the way back at the plane by the washrooms there. And you're going to need lots of time to get back there. Could I offer you advanced boarding, sir? Well, it's not exactly what you were looking for. It's, it's something, but quite frankly, it is a bit of a letdown. You take the advanced boarding, of course, but you try not to make eye contact with anyone sitting there in business class as you kind of trundle through on your way to the back of the plane. We don't know how this man and his friends reacted to what Jesus said to him, to what he offered. We can only imagine that they were actually a little disappointed. We don't know. But we do know for certain how some other folks reacted. Verse 3, at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins, and this carpenter, this untrained traveling teacher, this nobody is claiming to do what only God can do. Jesus knows what what they were thinking. That's what Matthew tells us. That's a bit of an indication that he's no ordinary man. He knows what they're thinking. He rebukes them for their evil thoughts, and then he poses to them a very intriguing question. Which one is the easier thing to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? Well, the forgiveness of sins thing, that may actually be the easier thing to say because no one can check if it's actually worked. No one knows if it's true. But at the same time, it is actually the much harder thing to accomplish, to really secure the forgiveness of sins before God the Father. That would be much more impressive if He could really do it. But then Jesus does something very remarkable. In order to demonstrate that he does, in fact, have authority on earth to forgive sins, he tells the man to get up, take his mat, and go home. And when Jesus says it, the man does it. 
and the crowd are rightly amazed. They're filled with awe. They are filled with praise. Well, it's another remarkable series of events, another striking miracle in a series of striking miracles in Matthew's gospel, another one for the history books. But what's the point? What's the lesson? What are we to learn and what are we to take away home with us? As we look at this incident and consider what Jesus says and what Jesus does, it becomes clear that he wants to teach this man and his friends. He wants to teach those bystanders. He wants to teach me and he wants to teach you something about ourselves. And at the same time, while he teaches us something about ourselves, he wants to teach us something about himself too. So in this passage, we have here a lesson about us and a lesson about him. And the lesson about us to begin with is simply this. Our deepest need, Jesus shows us, is the forgiveness of our sins. One of the great challenges that first responders face, paramedics, firefighters, policemen as well, one of their great challenges when they arrive on the scene of an incident or a disaster is to assess what is the greatest danger to life. What is the factor? What is the injury? What is the hazard that poses the greatest risk to human life? What's the first threat, the most acute injury that they need to address? As Jesus encounters this situation of acute need, of urgent need, this paralyzed man, he performs an immediate analysis of the situation in real time, and he reaches an instantaneous conclusion, but it's not the conclusion that others would have reached. Seeing this man with a very broken body and a broken life because of it, Jesus does not do the obvious thing. He doesn't do the thing that we might be inclined to do in his shoes. He doesn't heal the paralysis. Rather, he declares that this man's sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus is going to go on to address the man's physical need in verse 6. But when he does that, when he eventually gets there, he makes it clear that he performs this miracle of physical healing in order to do something else in order to prove a point about his power and his identity, a point that we're going to come to in just a moment. So the fundamental thing that Jesus wants to do for this man is the first thing that he does for him, declaring the forgiveness of his sin. And clearly Jesus does that because he has seen that the paralysis that this man suffered was not the root of his trouble. It wasn't the core of the issue. It was rather a symptom of a deeper problem the problem of sin. Now, some onlookers to this scene and to this situation may not have been at all surprised by this linkage between uh, sin and sickness. Perhaps the man himself, this paralytic, perhaps he sensed and he feared that sin had actually caused his illness. That idea wasn't uncommon in Jesus' day. You may remember another very famous incident in John's Gospel in chapter 9 when Jesus and his disciples come upon a blind man who had been blind from birth, and his disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be afflicted in this way? What did he do, Jesus, in order to deserve this? Who stepped out of line here? Who offended God in such a way that this should happen? But Jesus kind of brushes that question aside in John 9, and he says it was neither this man nor his parents who had done something in particular to cause this particular illness. That specific link, it isn't, it isn't valid there. 
And here in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus isn't saying that there is a specific and a concrete connection between a particular sin that this man committed and, and his paralysis. No, no, that's not the point. I mean, it's possible, I guess, but Jesus doesn't really take us down that route. No, the point is more general. Sin is the fundamental problem. It's the root of all trouble. It is, at the end of the day, the fundamental human problem. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth with a message called The Greatest Miracle of All in an important lesson today that our deepest need, our greatest need, is the forgiveness of our sins. Well, we're going to get back to this message from Matthew chapter 9 in just a moment. You know, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported ministry. You can find out more about us by coming to the website, EncounterTheTruth.org. You can learn more about the program and about Jonathan, and you can give a gift of support because that is how we stay on this station. And as you give a gift, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called Checkbook of the Bank of Faith, a great devotional book written by C.H. Spurgeon. It's our way of saying thanks for your support. I hope you'll stay tuned. We'll have a little bit more information about that later in the broadcast. But if you are just joining us, open your Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 9 as we continue the greatest miracle of all. Here is Jonathan. We had a guy in to fix our fridge the other day at home. The ice maker in the door was dripping. It wasn't keeping the ice properly frozen. Before calling the guy in for a service visit, knowing it could end up costing some money, I did my own research online and read some forums on appliance repairs and so on. And, and actually, I, I became pretty convinced that I'd figured out the problem. A faulty seal in the door let in warm air and caused the ice to melt. Lots of people had the same issue with the same types of fridge. I was pretty sure I knew what needed doing. Anyway, I called the manufacturer's helpline and told them the problem, and I shared with them what was the solution as well. The service guy came, and to my shock, he proceeded immediately to rip out the whole ice-making unit and to install a new one. I, I tried to tell him, you know, that I'd done my own Googling on this issue, and I, I was pretty sure I knew what the problem was and what was the solution. But he, to my surprise, wasn't really all that interested in what I had to say in my diagnosis. He worked on fridges on this manufacturer of fridge all day, every day, and he knew full well that the unit was faulty and there was nothing wrong with the seal. And of course, he was right. <laughs> the seal was not the problem. The seal was a superficial issue and more or less irrelevant. There was something more fundamental going on, and he got right to the heart of it immediately. The Bible makes it crystal clear that the source and the root of all our problems in this world, all the sickness, all the sadness, all the suffering, the source of it all is sin. That is, the root cause is our rebellion against God, our Maker, our refusal to live His way in His world, and our insistence on living our own way because we know better. It goes right back to our first human parents, and it's a situation that each one of us perpetuates and reinforces every day. As we turn from our Maker, we damage ourselves because we live in harmful and in self-destructive ways. But more than that, as we turn from our Maker in rebellion against Him and in violation of His Word, we invite His judgment. We invite His punishment for our wrongdoing. And the Bible tells us that we actually live in a world that sits under the judgment of God, a world where God has turned us over to the destructive fruit of our decision to abandon Him and to reject His rule. 
and the brokenness and the damage and the destruction of all this is felt everywhere in our world in every corner, not least in our broken and our dying bodies. Sickness, death, and disease, these were not part of God's initial plan and initial design for His world. They're not part of His world before the fall, and they are straightforwardly, the Bible tells us, the result of our sin. We've been seeing throughout this brief series in Matthew's gospel how Jesus's miracles point us in different ways to His work at the cross. Each miracle seems to highlight a different aspect of the achievement of Calvary, and it sheds a different light on the salvation that Jesus brings us there. And in a sense, this incident at the start of Matthew chapter 9, it underlines the fact that the miracles are indeed here to point us to Calvary. When Jesus does eventually heal this man's paralysis, He tells us explicitly that He is doing that in order to prove that He has authority to forgive sin. But the deeper issue, the deeper concern, it is to address sin. That's what He's ultimately interested in, and the paralysis is a symptom. And so that reminds us and that tells us that when Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, what He came to do was not immediately to heal every disease and alleviate every symptom. See, He came to get to the root cause of it all, to die for human guilt at the cross, to address and to satisfy the judgment of God, the just anger of God at sin, to bring cleansing and healing through His blood. See, Jesus came to heal the disease of the heart. And with that problem addressed, He opens the way then for us to enjoy an eternity with Him where disease is no more, where suffering is less than a memory, where sickness and sadness are done away with. The words of Jesus to this paralytic in verse 2 almost sound insensitive on first hearing. I wonder if you felt that. Here is this man longing, no doubt, to be made well, no doubt filled with hope that Jesus might deliver him from this awful mat to which he's been confined, and then cause his legs to work again. And what does Jesus say as he looks upon this broken man? Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. We can imagine that this man's heart might actually have sunk at those words. That's fine about my sin, Jesus. Thank you very much. But what about my legs? What about my suffering? What about my plight? What about my broken life? What about that, Jesus? But, you know, as we listen carefully and reflect thoughtfully, we see that Jesus' words, they are actually so kind and so healing. Take heart, son. Here is grace. Here is a welcome from God. Here is the restoration of a relationship that has been shattered by sin. And then the declaration of forgiveness. The problem of your sin is dealt with. Your guilt is removed. Your judgment has been lifted. I don't know what may have brought you here today. For some, this is your church home and you're here every weekend. You've come as you normally do. But I have no doubt that some will have come here today with particular needs and for a particular purpose. Maybe you've never been to church before, or perhaps you've been away from church for a long time, and perhaps you have come here today because there is a specific burden on your life, and you sense perhaps that Jesus could help you. 
Perhaps there's a relational crisis, a health crisis, a financial crisis, something else going on in your life, and you're in need of healing, you're in need of help, and you've heard that Jesus heals and Jesus saves, and you've come today, quite frankly, looking for a miracle. Perhaps a friend has brought you, as kind friends brought the paralytic in our passage this morning. Well, if you've come to Jesus for healing and for help, let me tell you, you've come to the right place. You see, Jesus can help, and Jesus can heal, but you should know this right from the outset. The help and the healing that Jesus Christ offers you today may not be the help and the healing you were looking for. See, Jesus doesn't promise to heal our broken bodies in this life. And he doesn't promise to take away all our troubles this side of heaven. But here's what Jesus does offer you, and here is what Jesus offers me. He offers to meet your deepest need and to address your most fundamental problem, the problem of your sin, the problem of your guilt before God. What Jesus Christ offers you and offers me through his death in our place is simply this, to hear the words of verse 2. Take heart, son. Take heart, daughter. Your sins are forgiven. He says those words to anyone who comes to him as the paralytic came to him. To anyone who comes to him with faith. Notice what he and his friends had as they came to Jesus. They didn't have much, perhaps, but they did have faith. They came believing that Jesus had power and Jesus had grace to heal. And for those who believe in him, who believe that he does indeed have power to heal, power to forgive, to such people, Jesus offers this free forgiveness, this welcome, this pardon, and he offers it to you today if you will simply respond to him in that way. Others of us know the Lord Jesus and have experienced the forgiveness of sin. Perhaps we've experienced it many years ago. But perhaps you've encountered more recently a crisis in your life or the life of someone you love, a serious illness, a relational breakdown, or other difficulty, and you are longing today, you've come here today longing that Jesus would intervene and Jesus would bring healing. And of course, Jesus can do that. And sometimes he chooses to do that in an, in an immediate way. But in the midst of crisis, in the midst of difficulty, the truth we sometimes need to remember and cling to is simply this. As we pray for healing and we cry out for healing and for help, we need to remember that as believers, we have already been helped. And we have already been healed. Well, we have to pause today's message right there, but we'll continue the greatest miracle of all next time here on Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. You know, maybe you can't be by your radio every time this program is on. You don't have to miss Jonathan's teaching. You can always come to our website, and you can listen to each and every broadcast that way. Our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org, and there's more information there about this program and about Jonathan and uh, again, a great way for you to stay engaged and up-to-date with Jonathan's teaching. Again, you're going to find everything you need when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org. 
Well, we're a listener-supported ministry, and as you give a gift of support so that this program can stay on this station, we want to say thank you by sending you Spurgeon's book, Checkbook of the Bank of Faith. And uh, Jonathan, uh, not everybody's necessarily familiar with uh, Charles Spurgeon, kind of a famous name in some circles, but what is it about Spurgeon's devotional writings that you like? Well, Spurgeon was one of the most famous preachers, perhaps the most famous preacher of the Victorian era. He led a very significant church in London, England at that time. And Spurgeon had a genius not only for opening up the truth of Scripture as a teacher, but applying it to the heart as a pastor. And I find his devotional writings and his uh, expositions of Scripture just to be heartwarming and rich at every turn, and I I think you're going to find the same. I trust this resource will be a real encouragement to you. Well, we want to send you a copy of Checkbook of the Bank of Faith for your gift of any amount. You can give your gift when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH or head to our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Again, the phone number is 833-998- 7884 for the website EncounterTheTruth.org Well, thanks for listening today and I hope you'll join us next time.